Hi, welcome. Thank you so much for joining. Welcome to Windsor Dermatology's Healthy Skin Highlights. Tonight is our ninth lecture of a 14 lecture series. Throughout the lecture series, the providers at Windsor Dermatology will discuss multiple different common dermatological issues. Tonight, our topic is vitiligo, presented by Kristen Texera. Kristen is a physician's assistant at the office and practices general and surgical dermatology. Kristen graduated from Monmouth University and is a local native to the area. There will be time at the end of the presentation for questions. If you have any questions, please type them in the text box below and we will address them at the end of the discussion. We at Windsor Dermatology are thrilled you took the time to join us for this exciting episode of Healthy Skin Highlights, an educational web series with Windsor Dermatology hosted by Kristen Texera. And ladies and gentlemen, here she is. Hi everybody, my name is Kristen. I'm a physician assistant here at Windsor Dermatology. And today we'll be talking a little bit about a condition called vitiligo. So what is vitiligo? Vitiligo is an acquired depigmenting disorder of the skin where melanocytes are lost. And it, it shows as these well-defined white patches on the skin. So as an example, the picture on the left of your screen is a picture of Michael Jackson when he was younger. There's not a lot of pictures of Michael Jackson when he was younger with vitiligo because he was really good at covering up with makeup, which a lot of patients with vitiligo also do. But you can see how it affects both sides of his face, really all over in these big white patches. Then there's another picture of a man's arm in the middle, the typical presentation of vitiligo. Again, just this well-defined area of white patch on the skin. And then on the right-hand side is a high fashion model, Winnie Harlow. She was on America's Next Top Model. She also has vitiligo, as you can see, it's really all over her face, pretty symmetrical, and then it runs down to her chest as well. So who gets vitiligo? This is an important slide because all races are equally susceptible to getting vitiligo, just as both sexes are equally susceptible to getting vitiligo. It is obviously more apparent and more easy to see in patients that have darker skin color as their normal skin, but it is important that all races are equally susceptible to getting vitiligo. It's estimated that about 0.5 to 1% of the population has vitiligo, and this is possibly higher in India, but about 0.5 to 1% is a safe bet. This usually develops before the age of 30. So with patients with vitiligo, about 50% of them will present with the vitiligo patches before the age of 20, and about 80% of them do show before the age of 30. It doesn't mean that somebody in their 60s can't present with new onset vitiligo, but the risk of getting it as you get older, especially over 30, does go down a bit. There is an increased risk of developing other autoimmune disorders in patients who have vitiligo. And these other autoimmune disorders might be diabetes, 
uh, something called pernicious anemia, thyroid disorders commonly go hand in hand with vitiligo, um, alopecia areata, things along those lines. And there is a genetic susceptibility to vitiligo. About 20% of patients with vitiligo can recall a family member who also shares the disorder with them. So what causes vitiligo? So as I had hinted to in the first slide, it's a destruction of the melanocytes, which produce melanin. And the melanin is what determines the skin, hair, or eye color. And it's thought to be an autoimmune disorder, but truly the cause of vitiligo is unknown. There are some theories as to what started the patches in a patient. There's something called the autoimmune theory. Is this something going on inside the body that is causing the vitiligo to appear? Is it a self-destruct hypothesis? Meaning like in the picture, is something going wrong in the melanocyte itself? Something along the pathway of the melanocyte producing the melanin, which then produces the pigment? Is there something that's going wrong in that cascade that is causing vitiligo? Or is it a neurogenic um, cause? So there's a neurogenic hypothesis, which more so goes along with a very specific type of vitiligo where patients show their symptoms in an area that would be controlled by the same nerve. So that's just a specific type, and there's a neurogenic hypothesis about that very specific type of patient. So maybe a patient just has it on one specific aspect of their arm that would be innervated by that specific nerve. But really, the cause is still unknown for the most part. So what does vitiligo look like? It's a loss of pigment, and this can happen in any area of the body. So it's important to look everywhere in the patient, especially if a patient presents with one spot on their face, it's important to say, hey, we're gonna look everywhere to make sure that everything else is looking a-okay. The size differs. So if somebody might present with a very large patch and another patient might present with teeny tiny, almost like confetti-like spots all over them. And some people have a mixture of both. Common sites for vitiligo are the face, the neck, the fingers and toes, and the armpits and the groin, but it really can show up on any area of the body. When hair is affected, like the picture in the right-hand corner of the screen, it's called leukotrichia or poliosis. That's a very good example of it. There's a patient who is losing pigment in her eyelashes. It's important to share with your patients that vitiligo does has, have a very unpredictable course of development. So somebody might present with a patch on their face and you have to tell them, you know, this may not be the only spot that's gonna show up on you. Some patients have a massive showing of vitiligo where they come in with all the patches that may present to them for a period of time and then things kind of lay low for three or four months and then more patches appear. Some patients come in and they have a couple of spots on them and over the weeks to months, more spots develop. So it's important to educate patients about this unpredictable course of development so that they feel empowered and 
educated on the topic so that they don't call you in two weeks saying, oh my gosh, what is going on? There's also an idea called the Kobner phenomenon. And an example of that is shown in the lower right-hand corner of the screen. So a patient developed vitiligo right along their incision site from a surgery. So we see this commonly in other disorders like psoriasis. So what happens is basically the skin gets traumatized and that could be from somebody cutting into it for a surgery, or maybe you burned that area of your skin, or maybe you fell and you skinned your knee or whatever it may be, something caused trauma to the skin. And in place of that, the disease process appears. So that's what that picture is. But vitiligo looks different in every patient, but in general, it is that nice, well-defined, milky white area of skin. So there are different types of vitiligo. So there's different um, categories. So two main categories, there's one that's called non-segmental and there's one that's called segmental. So non-segmental vitiligo is usually bilateral and it is eerily symmetrical. It looks like a complete mirror image of itself just on the opposite side of the patient's body. So non-segmental non usually occurs a little bit later in age, but that doesn't mean that a young child can't develop non-segmental vitiligo, but it is a little bit more common in our older population of vitiligo patients. It is progressive and it is common to have flares. So when you have a patient with this non-segmental vitiligo on both sides of their body, it's eerily symmetrical, it is important to tell them this might continue to get worse for the next couple months so that, again, they don't call you saying what the heck is going on. The hair in these types of patients with non-segmental vitiligo is usually spared in the beginning of the disease process for whatever reason. And these patients are more easily able to recall a family history of somebody with vitiligo versus segmental vitiligo. This is asymmetrical vitiligo. So this is a patient with just one spot on their shoulder. So with segmental vitiligo, it is more common in a younger population. It is a quick onset, and then it usually kind of stabilizes for a bit. So they don't have that massive flare like the non-segmental patients may have. And it does affect the hair usually a little bit earlier on which you'll, we'll touch on later that it, it's a little bit more difficult to treat, but, oh, going back, I'm sorry. So here's just a, a photograph of a couple more types of vitiligo. So that focal vitiligo on the left-hand side, focal areas of depigmentation on the shoulder, on the hip of that patient versus segmental vitiligo, the patches are just on one side of her body versus the third, this is where usually the lips and the hands and the feet are, are affected. The next one, vulgaris, um, this, is the, this is more so the non-segmental patients that perfectly symmetrical, eerily symmetrical spots, bilateral, I'm sorry, bilateral um, spots and eerily symmetrical versus the last patient where it can really affect their entire body. 
So how do we diagnose vitiligo? So normally a patient comes in, says, hey, I have this white spot and we have to try to figure out what causes the white spot. So it's usually just a visual assessment. We come in, we say, hey, yep, this looks like vitiligo. Let's start treatment. Sometimes we're not as lucky and it's a little bit more of a gray area. Is this vitiligo? Is there something else going on? So there's something called a woods lamp, which is basically a black light that we can use. And if needed, something called dermoscopy can help. So we can actually look at the area underneath this little microscope under different light to appreciate the lack of pigment. If needed, a skin biopsy can be done and we'll send that off to the lab. And then the lab result will say, hey, yep, there is a complete loss of melanocytes and the epidermis, which is a, a upper layer of your skin, there's no pigment there. And those two things hand in hand equal vitiligo. If you want to be very thorough, you can do blood tests and kind of test for the other things that go hand in hand with vitiligo. So we can do a thyroid assessment to see if your thyroid is functioning properly. Not that the thyroid may have caused the vitiligo or the vitiligo may have caused a thyroid issue, but they do go hand in hand sometimes. We can check something called an ANA, which looks for other autoimmune processes that may be going in, on inside your body. Or we can check something called a B12, and that can check for something called pernicious anemia, which sometimes goes hand in hand with our vitiligo patients. Usually, in my, my experience, these blood tests normally come back completely normal, but it is something that we can do just to really complete the picture for you. So for the woods lamp, so this is an example of a woods lamp. It's basically a handheld black light, which I guess I could turn this off. So it basically just glows. So that's what we'll do in the room. We turn the lights off, make sure it's completely dark in the room. And it's helpful in the patient where we're like, hmm, is this vitiligo? Is it not vitiligo? Is something else going on? So here's a good example. In the upper left-hand corner is a patient who, if you look closely, you can appreciate areas of possible depigmentation. But it's not hard to have that, hmm, maybe it's not vitiligo thought go through your mind. So when we put the woods lamp on, which you can see in the upper right-hand corner, you can see these areas that are very clearly depigmented vitiligo versus the patient in the lower left-hand corner, normal patient, you turn the woods lamp on, nothing glows. So that's how a woods lamp can be helpful in the, the diagnosis process. So how do we treat vitiligo? Vitiligo is difficult to treat sometimes, but we do have a stepwise fashion that we normally go in. So patient comes in, new onset vitiligo, my first go-to will be an anti-inflammatory medication. So there, which is a topical ointment or a cream. So there are corticosteroids, which you, you need to use something a little strong. So like a, like, like a clobetazole or something that's strong that you can use for a long period of time, at least three months to really see a repigmentation possibly occur. 
strong steroids can't be used in sensitive areas for long periods of time. So if a patient comes in with vitiligo on their face or vitiligo in their armpits or in their groin, I will opt for something called a calcineurin inhibitor like a protopic or something like that. Now, calcineurin inhibitors do not have a steroid in them. They still control the inflammation. They don't have a steroid in them. So we can use them more long-term in these more sensitive areas without worrying about the potential side effects that strong steroids come with. So a patient will come in, okay, new onset vitiligo, it's on their trunk. I say, here's your clobetazole, you're gonna use it. And you're gonna come back in three months and we're gonna see your progress. So three months go by, they come back in to see me. If they are repigmenting, amazing. I may just continue on the topical treatment for a little bit longer just to see how they do. If they come in in three months and they say, oh my gosh, president, I don't really see any repigmentation going on. And oh my, now I have this spot going on on my back. We may opt for phototherapy. So phototherapy is something that we offer here at Windsor Dermatology. So depending on the area, there is an eczema laser or full body phototherapy, again, available at the office. This is normally covered by insurance and we work with your insurance to have that covered before we start treatment, of course. The downside with phototherapy is it's more time out of the patient's schedule because you physically have to come into the office two times a week to see me. And it is very important to tell patients with vitiligo that you will be coming to see me for an extended period of time sometimes. So it could take months to years. If I start a patient with photo phototherapy for vitiligo, I tell them, hey, we're going to do this for at least three months before we even judge if it's working. So it can be a little time consuming for patients. And yeah, but it's sometimes it's worth it because it's safe. And you don't have to worry about those secondary skin changes that come with the steroids, that you can't use a steroid for years on your skin. So there's also a topical cream that's kind of on the rise. It is showing really good results, but it is still pending FDA approval. So can't really talk about that much. And there is other, it's called Jack inhibitors, which they're working on to be used for treatment for vitiligo, again, pending FDA approval, so we don't use them. There are oral medications that are possible, but the data is kind of iffy on that. And by what I mean by oral medications is steroids by mouth or an antibiotic by mouth that also has anti-inflammatory properties, things along those lines. And then there is depigmentation treatment. So like Michael Jackson, he's a perfect example of it. So he went through this period where he kind of said, hey, I can't do much about my lighter patches that are showing up on my body. I'm going to depigment the areas that I have to match my spots of vitiligo, which that can be an option for our patients that have really widespread vitiligo and it's easier to depigment the areas that they have pigment in now. It's completely irreversible. So they have to know that going into it. That's not something that we really do often, but it is an option. Of course, there's cosmetic cover-up. There's good concealers out there now. And there's tattooing options. So you can have a patient, you know, go to a tattoo parlor and get their vitiligo patch tattoo to match the color of their normal skin. So treatment outcomes. 
the best outcome comes from a patient who says, hey, I have this new patch on my face or my trunk. Those usually repigment the best. The harder, more difficult to treat patient is the patient that says, oh, I've had this vitiligo patch for the past 15 years. I've never treated it. And oh, by the way, it's on my hands and feet. Also where hair is affected, like I had spoke about before, that's a little bit harder to repigment those areas as well. And it's likely because when we treat areas of vitiligo, what we're looking for is what that picture is showing on the bottom half of the screen. We get this follicular repigmentation. So when we use the topical steroids or we use the lasers to calm down the inflammation in the area, that, that, that shows the what, call, what goes on is the melanocyte, the stem, the stem cells that are at the base of it get activated and it goes through the hair follicle and it repigments right at that area. So that's what we're looking for when we're treating vitiligo. It doesn't just shrink nicely into nothing. That would just be too ideal, but it, you get this patchy follicular repigmentation. And that's probably why where the hair has been affected, they're a little bit harder to treat. So those are all things that we tell our patient, you know, going into the treatment. Hey, if you have a spot on your hands that has been there for a long time, sure, we can try, but you might not get that outcome that you were desiring. Whereas if a patient comes in with a new spot on their face, hey, let's go for it. We have a good chance of repigmenting it. So I have to speak about the psychological effects of vitiligo because they're important. So when a patient comes in with vitiligo, it is our job to not just see them as a patient with a skin disorder. We have to see them as a patient with a skin disorder that can carry a very large psychological burden for them. So the psychological effects of vitiligo can be great, especially in patients of color. So if I have a spot of vitiligo, I might go through my day and nobody notices that patch except for me because I know it's there versus in a patient of color, it is very apparent that they have a patch of vitiligo and not everybody knows what vitiligo is. So they look at you kind of funny. Hey, what's going on? Like, why, do you, why are you looking so patchy? So, you know, you, they get the looks and depression is a true risk in these patients and their rate of suicide is much greater than the general population. So it's just things to be aware of. And when a patient comes in, you know, to be realistic about their outcome and to be encouraging about their outcome when you see that bit of follicular repigmentation is important. The social anxiety and the decreased self-esteem is also something to be aware of. So just, you know, chat with your patient about it. That's what we always do. And their quality of life, you know, in a study of patients, of, of a bunch of patients with vitiligo, they, you know, 80% of them said it affected their quality of life. So hate to end on that note, but thank you guys so much for being here. I hope you learned something about vitiligo. And I think we have some questions. So one second. So somebody said, is vitiligo considered to be an autoimmune disease? Yes, like how we spoke about, it is considered to be an autoimmune disease. What sets that off is not entirely known, but it is considered to be an autoimmune destruction of the pigment cells in your skin. 
this is a good question. Can a patient be born with vitiligo? No. So an albino, a patient who doesn't have any pigment, that is a lack of melanin in general. It's not an issue with the melanocyte. It's an issue with melanin in general. And that is a genetic, that is a genetic disease. Vitiligo is an acquired autoimmune disease. Patients do come in and they have a, an area that's a, a birthmark that doesn't have any pigment, but it's not considered vitiligo in, in our eyes. It's more so like a depigmented um, birthmark. So somebody asked, why would you use a strong steroid to help treat vitiligo? Because they work the best and they work, you know, if we're going to try to get something to work, we have to use something that's stronger. If I use a low potency steroid, it just doesn't get the job done and doesn't get the job done in a timely manner at all. So strong steroids are the mainstay of treatment for vitiligo. And they said, is there any uh, systemic effects from using a steroid long-term? Yes and no. It depends how much you're using. If you are slathering your whole body in a strong steroid, some of that topical steroid is going to get absorbed and you may run into an issue with that. But for the most part, if you have a spot that's just even covering part of your arm and you're using a steroid on it, there's not much systemic absorption. So you wouldn't have to worry about any long-term effects from that. Someone said, are there certain types of lotion you should avoid using if you have vitiligo? Is your skin considered to be more sensitive? This is a good question. This is a good point. Um, I didn't touch on it in the talk, but I'm glad I can now. So use whatever you want on your skin when you have vitiligo. There's nothing that you're going to put on it that can make your vitiligo worse or better if it's just an over-the-counter lotion. However, if you get a bad burn, it can make your vitiligo worse. It can make your vitiligo spread. So that is something to be aware of. Patients with vitiligo, at least put SPF 30 to 50 on and be good about your reapplication. Our pigment in our skin is there for a reason. It protects your skin from sun damage. That's why when you go out into the sun, you get tanner because your skin is learning and it's saying, hey, let's get darker because she's gonna sit us out in the sun all the time and we need to protect ourselves. Whereas in vitiligo patients, the patches that they have do not have pigment in them. So there is nothing there to protect yourself from the sun. So you need to protect yourself from the sun. You need to put SPF on. I think that's it. Great. Well, thank you guys so much. I hope you learned something about vitiligo and I'll see you next month.